left. Here we go. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the Addiction Reset Podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode. I have a special guest for you all. Um, His name is Nathan Valentine, and he has become a good friend of mine. And there's a specific reason that I wanted him on our podcast today. And so um, we're going to start out. We're going to talk a little bit about supporting casts, the people that we need to have in our life to have a successful recovery. And then we'll just talk a little bit about Nathan's story and where he came from and his recovery and how he feels like he's been able to maintain his success because he's been in recovery quite a bit longer than myself. And so I wanted to get his perspective in here for, for all of you that are listening. So start off. Welcome, Nathan. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, James. It's great to have you. So I wanted to start off before I get into Nathan, um, giving kind of his background, I want to start with a story and the reason that I have Nathan on the podcast today. So this is about three years ago now. Um, I had met Nathan. We had just moved into a new neighborhood um, in Southern Utah, and we had met a couple times previous to this, Um, but I was three weeks into my recovery. And I remember the first two weeks um, I had been Um, I had been asked by somebody where I was going that evening, where I had started going to my 12-step meetings. And the first two weeks, I had told those same, those two people. And the responses were mixed. One had never heard of them. And two asked me, why would I go to a meeting like that? So this, the third week, we were going on a family walk just around the neighborhood. And, um, ran into Nathan and his family. And um, I don't know if he remembers it the same way I did, but this is how I remember the story. And he invited us over for, to play games as a family that night. And when it, what ended up happening is I had made sure that when I had made the commitment to get into recovery, again, this is three weeks into my recovery, I had, I had made a promise to myself that I'd be completely honest with everybody. I don't care who they were. I wasn't going to hide that I was in recovery, that I went to 12-step meetings or anything like that. So when Nathan invited us over for games, I said that night, I'd love to, but I have somewhere to be. I have an um, addiction recovery meeting that I'm going to. And Nathan's response was, that's amazing. Can I go with you? And um, as, as we teach an addiction reset, we teach that you need a supporting cast. And one of those people that we teach that you need is somebody that is in recovery and is successful in recovery. And that person, unbeknownst to me at the time, became Nathan Valentine. And he was the guy that supported me, that had success, and that cheered me on. And it all started from that evening, three weeks into my recovery. Now, almost three years into my recovery, I consider Nathan one of my closest friends, and I wanted him on the podcast to share who he is, why he would give a response like that, and um, what what addiction and recovery has been like in his life. So long story, but I wanted to start that off, and that's why I wanted Nathan on this podcast today. So Nathan, give us your background. Who are you? How did you... um, get started in recovery? What, what were your addictions? What did that all look like? 
Well, I, uh, I love that story, by the way. Um, that started a beautiful friendship uh, for which I'm grateful. Um, but uh, yeah, so starting out, I, uh, I had a little bit of difficulty with um, the situation I had growing up with uh, divorced parents. And uh, just one thing led to another, different influences. I was also an only, only child. And so I didn't have siblings to kind of bounce ideas off of or emotions, uh, anyone to really vent to. And so a lot of my go-to uh, individuals were friends that I grew up with. Um, some were better influences than others, but, uh, you know, there were different influences uh, that, you know, would invite different ideas, um, uh, different things, uh, you know, masturbation was something I was introduced to very early um, at about 11 years old. Um, pornography, that was something, I mean, before technology, it was all like on playing cards and magazines, but uh, those weren't difficult to come by, but certainly not as easy as the internet. Uh, but they were still things that I came across with various um, acquaintances. And so there were these little things, these building blocks that were sort of setting me up in some respect to um, go down that path, not you know necessarily to blame things on those experiences. Uh, we all have choice, uh, but there are reasons for the, uh, the choices we make sometimes. And uh, for me, that was a motivator, having those influences. And, uh, and so as, as time went on, um, you know, growing up, uh, young adulthood, I had a lot of that, uh, you know, as I was going through different emotions and, and difficult times, that was in some respect, something that brought a sense of escape for me, um, was to kind of go into my own space and, um, you know, oftentimes fantasy and, and masturbation would be the result of that alone time. Um, and that was soothing, I guess, in some respect for me mentally and emotionally. Um, and so uh, as time went on, I started recognizing that there was a problem. Um, there were different choices I made, um, acting out, I guess you might say in recovery mm -hmm. that, uh, that led to, um, mistakes that started surfacing in, in my relationships. And, um, uh, I, you know, ended up getting married and, uh, was still struggling at the time a little bit more quietly though. Um, you know, there's ups and downs. There's times where, at least for me, um, I was very much in, um, in the addiction and um, it would have been maybe obvious to the people around me. And then there were times where I could pretend it wasn't there and I could try and live a normal life outside of addiction. Um, but it, it caught up because I, I wasn't addressing it. I wasn't in recovery. And so um, it eventually it came to a head where I needed to go into an inpatient treatment program to address that. I, I finally confessed, which was important, something that I would say uh, had the most power over my addictions, uh, confession. And uh, it was specifically to my wife, um, very shameful time for me. Um, I, I felt an enormous amount of guilt and I took that with me into that inpatient treatment program. Um, 
So trying to keep it somewhat brief, um, there's a long story. We all have a long story. Um, I, I took that opportunity to start to understand a little bit about how I might address um, the uh, kind of removing, in a sense, or replacing those uh, building blocks that I had um, used from my childhood that eventually turned into that big addiction. Um, and so each little tool that I received from that inpatient treatment program and then the outpatient patient treatment that came for another eight years after that assisted me in, in understanding how I could face those things head on and I wouldn't say that they're necessarily gone because I remember them all. I remember the choices. I remember the feelings. Um, and I remember, you know, those instances. However, the more I distanced myself from actually acting upon those things and replacing the thoughts with something else, the more, and, and of course, like I say, um, keeping an open and honest relationship with my wife and others uh, the less power those addictions have had over my life. So a lot of a lot of recovery in the eight years of outpatient treatment program uh, time, and then also um, the addiction recovery program, specifically the twelve steps in the um, uh, with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints program. Uh, several years of that, um, both for myself and others, have been a big part in my recovery. Awesome. So let's let's unpack that story a little bit just to give some more um, answers to the audience. So how long um, were you in active addiction? So I would say, um, I guess probably by at eleven years old, I was like, I think I was there. I would say. Um, because I would say that masturbation played a big role in my addiction. Okay. And so from 11 um, all the way through to um, the middle of my 20s. Okay. So 10 plus years for sure. Yes. So do you remember a time um, when, because obviously at 11 when you were um, having those influences in your life, you weren't you weren't aware of your addiction at that point. When do you feel like you became aware of the addiction? When, in your in your own view, you had an addiction? Um, I think when I was at a friend's house, uh, at least in my mind, this is what it brings me back to. When I was with him in his room, uh, and he had a bathroom connected to his room. When I was doing that, when we were together, but not in the same room together, but. Um, when I went into his bathroom and I found myself doing that, I realized I had a problem. Okay. And I want to say I was uh, 16. 16. So it was five plus years probably into your, into the actions before, it, in your mind, it was a problem. Yes. Uh, I think I was very similar about the same period of time as far as, you know, I, I consider my addiction starting around 14. And I, I knew I had a problem when I couldn't stop in the middle of my two-year church mission when it was like, if I can't stop now, then obviously I have a problem. So, and which, you know, about that five, six-year time frame. So you mentioned a couple things in there. So how old were you when you went into inpatient? Um, that was 2000. 
five, so that would have made me about 26, 25. 25, okay. Um, so one of, so just, just to break down for those of you that are listening for the first time or don't, aren't aware of what we teach at the Addiction Reset, our, we, we talk about our supporting cast and there's four people within that supporting cast. First one is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Second one is our spouse or loved one. Third one is a friend in recovery that's being successful. And then the fourth one is a friend in recovery that's not being successful. And I actually get a lot of questions about the non-successful friend, and we'll talk about that at a later time. But the reason I bring those four up, number two, you brought up your wife. And I wanted to ask, how long had you been married? And what was her response when this inpatient or when you initially let her know that this was a problem? Certainly. So we'd been married about two years. Um, and so this was out of left field for her. Um, just a huge blow. Uh, you can imagine she grew up in a very different reality than I had. Um, her idea of marriage and, um, you know, meeting that person that you're going to love for eternity uh, was very much, um, I mean, she lived in reality, but the feelings that came with that were kind of like, you know, finding that Prince Charming, you know, that you can kind of live and and everything is just this romantic story of perfection and love. I'm, you know, it, that's what every young lady would love to have in, in a man that she marries. And here, you know, I give her this blow of deceit and, um, you know, mental instability in her husband. Um, there were also, you know, obviously in, in the um, addiction itself, choices were made that were um, very much an offense against her. And so it, it hit her really hard when she found out. Um, I think she was, we, we reflect on it now, she was really needing to consider whether she wanted to continue that marriage. Okay. And um, how, how is your relationship with her now? So th this was 15 years ago, right? Right. Um, it takes time to heal. Um, I would say that now we are where I, where I would have wished we could have been the minute after I confessed because, you know, now I've gained the courage to confess and now everybody else should just be okay now because, you know, now I'm where I need to be. Let's all just forget about it and move on. And it just doesn't work that way. Um, and so it, it took a number of years, but I would say today we are one another's very best friends and, um, I love her very much. I consider her apologies for the background noise. I get a number of notifications. Um, <clears throat> I consider her my very best friend and I feel that reciprocated from her. Awesome. I wanted to bring that up because, so I know your wife personally as well. Um, I consider her one of my closest friends as well and it's pretty fun to watch now i didn't know you at the time of of when you started your recovery but i watch her now and her level of love and support is is pretty pretty amazing and the reason there's a couple reasons why our number two person in our supporting cast is a spouse or a loved one or significant other really 
even more than obviously if you're not married um, or you don't have a significant other, a parent or another loved one could work. But the reason that a spouse is there, there's a couple reasons. As Nathan talked about, he said, you know, he was ready at the time that you confessed for her to be like, okay, everything's great. Like he's moved on or at least trying to. And that is rarely, if ever the case, right? Because they're just barely starting their path. And you, you know, in your case, 15 years, my case, 20 plus years that I was ready to make that change. I've been convincing myself for that long. And now all of a sudden the spouses, it's out of left field. They don't know. So there's a couple of reasons. One, humility. You can't become successful in your recovery if you're not humble. And there, there's nothing that humbles a man more than a spouse not liking what you're doing. And you have to come to terms with that. And, it, and the humility that is needed is it takes years before that relationship can be fully repaired. But the reason that it's such an important part of recovery is the stage that you're at now. If you wouldn't have ever started that and had to be humble for however given amount of time it was for you or would for any listener, eventually it turns into then one of your greatest um, supports and one of your greatest friends and one that knows you deeper than anybody else because you did have that relationship and that, that humility was required. I remember having a conversation with my wife a year into my recovery that I hadn't relapsed at all. And everything in my mind was like, this is perfect. Like I'm who you wanted me to be now. And she still was struggling with the trust issues and, and it was difficult, but at the same time, it was a needed part on her path. And it continued that humility part on my path that now um, I feel like the whole process of having that support system from your spouse, all of a sudden, um, there's no amount of time. There's no way that can say it's going to take one year. It's going to take five years. But from my experience, looking at other people in recovery, there is a period of time where that spouse, um, fine, finally, and it's not, a, it's nothing against them that it takes them whatever time it is, but you're finally on the same page together in your recovery, which is kind of an amazing thing. Cause it's not their recovery. It's your recovery. And for, and at, at some point, whenever that is, um, it, it's an amazing thing. And it really is something that, you know, your growth in that marriage, if you can withstand that initial blow from their addiction, I feel like those in recovery that are in true recovery and their spouse has accepted that you in that recovery, those become some of those strongest marriages out there. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, you know, the sexual sin, I guess, if you want to put it that way, is so difficult, especially when it comes to a marriage um, because they feel like they were the ones that were essentially um, abused in that. Uh, they feel betrayed. And that is such a, um, in some ways, such an important part of a relationship is that, that bond uh, where people uh, literally become one. Mm -hmm. And if that's been betrayed um, through sexual sin, it really is very difficult for there to be that reset of, of balance in their lives to feel like what they're experiencing is genuine and real as you're one. Um, we had many discussions throughout the years um, about how, you know, there's just not that 
that emotional connection. Um, you know, we continued physically, yet it just it takes a while for it to feel real again. Yeah, hundred um, percent. You mentioned a couple time a couple things in there that I want to try and uh, address. So, if I remember right, your upbringing. So, for those of you that don't know, I'm a religious man. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and in our church, pornography is viewed as a very wrong thing. Um, it's not even at an addiction level, just as an, a general practice, which isn't necessarily the case outside of the church from a, a societal standpoint. It's not necessarily um, looked down upon before it gets to that addiction standpoint. I think we can all agree that from a societal standpoint, if you're addicted to pornography, then that's um, probably immoral. But from a societal standpoint, the, the general looking at it now in, in the church, um, looking at it in general is wrong. And then obviously, if it gets to the addiction level, then it um, gets to another level. But I wanted to talk a little bit about you, you use the well, first of all, you didn't grow up in the church. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, I was baptized when I was 21. Okay. And um, do you think that had any influence on one, the addiction starting in the first place? Was it was it ever an okay thing in the family? Or was it not an okay thing? Uh, can you speak to that at all? Sure. So at one point, I was uh, in my dad's closet. I, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but uh, I, I left home when I was 14. So it was sometime before then. I want to say it was around that 11-year mark. Um, I found a, an old black and white uh, nude magazine of some sort, um, something that he had obviously kept around for quite some time. Uh, it was kind of intriguing. Um, I'd never seen him with a woman. And uh, so that was... Um, well, at least that I could remember, of course, my parents were divorced when I was three. Um, and so I, I began to wonder about, you know, the moral side of that, um, not thinking in those terms, but just, is this okay to view those things? And apparently it was because um, I, we got uh, one of those, uh, put the stickers in for what magazines you want sent to you for the next year type campaigns in the mail. Um, and I pointed out the Playboy magazine, and he was fine with me going ahead and putting that sticker down. He never looked at him, but he handed the magazine to me each time it came. And so that was um, kind of an affirmative for me from my dad um, in feeling like it was okay for me to look at things like that, uh, even at that age. Okay. Because you mentioned when you went into inpatient, there was a feeling of shame and guilt. Obviously, if your dad was okay with it, that wouldn't be, you were never shamed at that point. Where, where do you feel like that that shame came from? So that definitely came after I was baptized. Um, I, I began to understand that there were moral standards that a person should try to live by. Uh, and so the more I learned about uh, the stance of our church and, um, and our God, uh, the more I understood that what I was thinking was okay wasn't so okay uh, not that I mean I was an adult man I, I understood that there were probably things that some of the world didn't necessarily agree with um, and so my reality is it was beginning to shape uh, just dictated um, that maybe those things weren't necessarily great for a marriage yeah yeah I, I and 
so the, I believe that there's a difference between shame and guilt and shame comes from feeling like you're um, a bad person. Guilt comes from, you feel like that you've done something wrong that you would like to change and get better, right? There's yeah. actually that you would like to change. And there is this, this idea within um, our church and it's more of a cultural thing in my belief. It's definitely not a doctrinal belief um, that there's a hierarchy of sins, if you will. I like to refer to it as that. And pornography for a lot of people is at the top of that list or at least really close to the worst sins that you can commit. And because of that, there becomes a lot of shame. And when there's shame involved, there becomes a lot of hiding and a lot of lying and a lot of trying to stay away from that shame versus coming to terms with yourself and being like, I'm, God loves me either way, whether I'm looking at this or not. It has no bearing on whether God loves me. Now, whether I want to become a better person myself, that that's guilt. And that's a good thing. Being shamed is, is a different, um, a different thing. And so I was curious if that shame changed at some point. And it sounds like it did because of that upbringing. Um, now, I, let's see. I wanted to touch on, because I've actually never asked you this, I don't think. And I would like to. No, so I began with a story when you said, that's amazing, can I go with you? And again, that, that, those are the words that I remember in my head. Um, why did you give a response like that? When it, I mean, we didn't know each other that well at that point. So I think there's another thing about uh, my experience with the church since I was baptized. Um, and I think a lot of the world, just hearing responses from people, people I know that aren't members, um, I think they get the feeling that members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at least think they're perfect people, um, and they put that off like, and, and I think people kind of wonder sometimes, too, because we do so much good that, uh, you know, what if they did something wrong? Right. Um, and so I thought it was awesome that you had the courage to be forthcoming about your interest in and excitement enthusiasm toward going to one of those meetings. Um, here in uh, at least the southern Utah area, uh, those meetings didn't seem to have the same um, impact or influence on church members as they had in uh, some of the other places I've lived. Um, and so I was really excited to come to Southern Utah and actually meet someone who had that sort of enthusiasm that I'd had in other places in the country. Awesome. Well, that's good. So one of the, one of the keys that we talk about in recovery as well from our addiction reset program is um, shouting or getting loud about your addiction. And it's kind of funny because you're going to get different responses just like with anything in life. Right. Like I had already, like I said, told two people the two weeks before and it didn't have the same effect as it did on you. But the important part that I had made that decision for myself was that it didn't really, I wasn't, it didn't matter the response. It mattered the, that I was saying it right. That I was telling people whether they looked down upon me or whether they responded as you did, that wasn't um, the key. But at the same time, your response had a, had, continues to have a lasting impact on my life. And that was um, pretty awesome. And that's why, you know, when, when we help people find their supporting cast, someone that's successful in recovery, 
is, is an important part. And, you know, from my experience, some of my better friends are from my addiction recovery experience. And so I don't think it's ever should be uh, shameful or a thing that we should hide. Now that's easy for me to say now, cause I'm in recovery, right? I lied, I lied about it for 20 plus years. And, um, but I do think there's a point or a, a point in your life that you do need to hit that reset button and say, you know what, I'm going to tell people about it. I'm going to be okay with whatever response comes from that. So, um, well, I, I really appreciate you coming on and I think you've provided some valuable stuff already, but I did want to give you one last, um, question that I like to ask. Well, you're my first guest, but I'm going to, I want to do this going forward. If you could give one tip to somebody that is currently in active addiction, that would help them either one, make the decision to start their recovery or to push them to that path, what would be that one tip that you could give somebody? I think I'll answer that with my own experience. So when I confessed uh, to my wife, uh, there was a massive flood here in the Southern Utah area, uh, just a really crazy, perfect storm scenario where there was snow and then rain came and it just all flooded the area. And we had um, the prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time, President Gordon B. Hinckley, traveled down from Salt Lake City to here in our area. And um, he, he addressed us and I went to that. Uh, I'd never been near a prophet of God before. Um, and I was really excited about it. Um, there was something that happened to me that night, um, something in my heart. Um, so it was a really kind of a spiritual experience for me. Um, just knowing I was that close to a conduit of God, um, and that he was sharing what the will of our heavenly father was and how we might look at the situation and and how we might feel about some of the loss that came from it. Uh, it really touched me and it made me feel like it it gave me a celestial sort of eternal perspective on things where I, I didn't really feel like I wanted to live out my life hiding, um, these secrets and lies about my addiction and who I was becoming. Uh, it was going to destroy me. And I took that experience and decided that I would look past my fears and look past the shame and the guilt that I was feeling at the time. And I was going to confess. And so that's probably what I would say as far as a tip is concerned is tell someone now um, and don't wait uh, because we do that. We, we kind of say, okay, I'm going to do it and never mind. Right. Um, and so, and, and then, you know, once it's out, um, don't give it its power back. Continue talking to people. I, I, in my program, I was asked to find three people to tell about my addiction. And so I went to people I trusted in, in my ward, uh, which is what we call um, our different sections of, of our church uh, based on geographical area. 
And, and the, my therapist said, okay, um, that, that's okay that you asked three people from your church, but I want you to reach out a little bit further than that. And I'm going to challenge you to reach out to people that aren't members of your church. And that really got me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was forced to tell people I worked with. Um, that's, that's a little bit of a risk because now, you know, your job's on the line, your livelihood's on the line. Um, but I was at a place in my life where I think um, God was looking out for me. Um, I told people that took it very well. Um, and it took such a huge bit of that power that my addiction had over me totally away. Um, and so that's, like I say, telling someone now without delay and continuing to share it with others, especially those that may not be as comfortable to share that with. Accountability comes from that. Awesome. Perfect. That's, I didn't coach him on that. I promise guys, even though this was our supporting guest, I did not tell him to give that tip, but that couldn't agree more. I'm telling people that's why we have our supporting cast in here. And then that's why we have shouting as getting loud about your addiction as well, because it's like he said it perfectly. It takes the power away from your addiction. You know, addictions live in hiding and when they're out in the open, they have less power over you. Um, thank you, Nathan, so much. I appreciate having you on here. Um, we'll have to do it again another time, but thank you. Yeah, thank you, James. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And so for all those that um, are listening, again, you can find us at theaddictionreset.com. Um, if you're having any struggles, um, you, there's places on there that you can find tips and tricks. Um, doesn't cost anything for a lot of this content that we put on there. Um, if you are at the point where you need help, that you want help, we have a free training on there that's going to walk you through um, our, it's called our mass philosophy, change our mindset, um, create massive action, find a supporting cast and shout about your addiction. And if we can do those things, we believe that we can really help you um, overcome your addiction and really change your life, change your relationships and get back on the right path. Um, until next time. Thanks for listening.